Americans need to lift up their head and look around and quit looking down and just looking around to their, their neighbors because maybe it's a way to get some freedom for some of these arguments and some of these conflicts and some of these, you know, headbutts that people are going through. Like when you start thinking about other people, when you start lifting your head, when you have a broader perspective, some of the issues don't, they're not as important anymore. But I think we can all benefit from just lifting our eyes off of our own little world sometime and seeing God's big world and learning from other people. Um, you know, it does take humility, but it does take an intentionality as well. Welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast, where men rediscover courageous masculinity. Pull up a chair as we gain strength from the stories of God working in the lives of ordinary men today. These men have discovered that in a world of superficiality and isolation, we need authentic brotherhood to gain strength for the battles we face every day. Brought to you by the ministry of CLC, which challenges men to an uncommon pursuit of Christ, welcome to Empowered Manhood. Welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast, where we are rediscovering courageous masculinity in the light of the gospel. My name is Mike Hatch, and I'm here with uh, author, speaker, and uh, former pro tennis player, Chris <laughs> Bollinger. Right, right, right? Yeah, yeah whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> you were really good. That's all I know. You were really good. And, and as I'm finding out today. In my mind, that's true. As, as I'm finding out today, not only good tennis player, but a great basketball player, because uh, who we have on today for interview, Steve Wiggers, who is uh, a missionary with SIM, and that's an acronym. They go by SIM, kind of like in CLC, we go by CLC, but SIM stands for Sending in Mission. And, uh, and so Steve is in near Nairobi, Kenya, but Steve, maybe you can... Uh, focus us in a little bit more because I know that's not exactly right. But first of all, just welcome Steve Wiggers. Thank you for joining us on the Empowered Manhood podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that you're what you said six four, six five. Is that what you said, Steve? Well, six four and a half, six five with shoes. And so, oh, okay. Steve would dispute the. I'm Chris is a good basketball player too, seeing as he <laughs> took me to the hoop and scored on me pretty regularly. So. I was just impressed. Wait, so here's what I'm impressed with. Did you guys play one on one? No, no. It was pick up pick up team basketball, usually five on five. Okay. Because Chris I think, I think we guard each other a lot though, probably. We did. For some reason, we always ended up on the other team. I think it was by design right. by whoever was forming the teams because they, they knew that Steve would score, you know, <laughs> most of the baskets on me. Oh, that's funny. I tried I to looking... switch. I tried to switch with somebody else, but no, no, I think I'm one of the taller guys there other than Steve. So Okay. Mm. I was looking at it as a positive. Like you were, you were asked to, it's like guarding, guarding Michael Jordan, right? You get oh, to guard guys. Steve Wiggers. No, it was a height thing. It this wasn't is, a talent gone thing. This has too far, Mike. This has gone too far. Okay. All right. We'll rein it back in. We'll rein it back in. So yeah. So Steve, we're excited because um, to talk to you about what you're doing over in Kenya in training pastors. And I think First of all, I think from my standpoint, the va the real value of having you on, I think what guys are going to get a ton out of this from is, is if you, you're a man, number one, <laughs> but then, but then Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on fire this morning, but then, then you're a man who's, who's embraced a mission and stepped way outside your comfort zone with your family to go to a foreign country, you know, and, and over here in America, you know, people talk about that. Like it's uh like, it would be the worst thing ever, you know, like, mm. Oh man, hopefully God doesn't call right. me to some foreign country. Um, you're doing it. You're doing it. And so I I'm excited to glean from, from uh, what God's been teaching and doing in you. And I think it's just going to inform uh, our listeners in some really incredible ways in terms of manhood, you know? So, um, yeah. So tell us a little bit, Steve, about yourself first, because we always start with a fence post story. And mm -hmm. just as a reminder, for those of you who don't aren't maybe your first time listener, what is a fence post story? In CLC, a fence post story is basically um, a, a story that tells, you know, the 
kind of a, you go through your significant moments in life. You imagine a fence along a property and there's vertical posts that represent those significant moments or significant people that have made you who you are today. And, uh, and we start out every interview with, uh, with our, the interviewee sharing their fence post story. So Steve, we'd love to hear your fence post story and how God has brought you to where you are now. Yeah, well, let me do my best to do that. I have a lot of things that more than I need to say probably, but um, yeah, I mean, going back to the beginning, I grew up in the States, um, grew up in a Christian home, loving parents. Um, things were smooth growing up, didn't have a lot of problems. Don't think about a lot of issues or painful moments as a young child. Um, but over the years, I can say one of the things I do know is that I, I was a very shy kid, not outgoing, um, big, big introverts, not used to talking to people. Um, I just like to be alone, hide in the corner. My mom tells me growing up, I couldn't even order a hamburger from McDonald's. I was that, that shy. No way. Um, wow. Yeah, man, seriously, no matter how hungry I was. Uh, so just fast forward really to my high school years where obviously I was a teenager, lots of stuff going on. Um, I did my homework. I was an athlete, played basketball, played baseball. But there came a point where um, things kind of went down. I kind of crashed. Hmm. Um, and that moment was when I <laughs> when I met a girl. <laughs> and uh, oh, those and I just... Yeah, I know. Seriously. Right. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't all her fault, but you know, but I just, I started going through uh, lots of emotions. I didn't know I had. Um, and I just started feeling really confused about life because back up a little bit, my, my plan for my life at the time was to keep things simple. So that means don't get married. Number one, marriage is complicated. Number two, of course, that means there's no kids in the picture either. So my my big plan for my life growing up was to grow up, finish school, uh, you know, buy a house after I graduate from college, you know, get some kind of business job, nine to five on the weekends, read the newspaper by a warm fire with my pet dog. That was the that was it, man. I'm not lying. <laughs> that is <laughs> and, hilarious. Uh, yeah, wow. it sounded so good to me. I thought, man, that just sounds like a nice, simple life, right? Um, if you know where I am now, it's it's not close to that at all. But, but yeah. so a wife and so six kids happened, later. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, all these emotions rush in. My life's being turned upside down because I'm falling for this girl. She's messing up all my plans for the future. And at the same time, you know, I'm realizing that my idea and understanding of my faith was very much attached to my parents. Hmm. Because when I started going down, you know, my anchor was pretty weak. I didn't have a lot to hold on to. And uh, so I went into actually a deep, deep depression the summer before I graduated high school. Um, I was still dating this girl. But I was just, I couldn't sleep for like three months. I was just napping. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get my body to rest and relax. I was on medication for anxiety. It didn't help. Um, and a key moment, I remember I was with my mom. We're, we're speeding down the highway in our minivan. She's taking me to a Christian counselor, um, trying to get some help for me. And as we're, you know, speeding down the highway, I'm sitting there by the sliding door of the van. And I thought, man, I think it'd be easy if I just jumped out of that door, ended it all. Wow. You know, this will take care of the problem, right? So I was actually contemplating that. I was sitting there. I was thinking that. I felt like doing that. All I can say right now is, you know, God's grace held me in that seat. I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, mm -hmm. I went through the counseling and it helped a little bit. But that moment, which was a very low moment, was when I came to a like a turning point in my life of okay, either I'm just gonna cry out to God, say, Lord, I really need your help to figure this whole life thing out, or I can just leave God behind and just kind of self-destruct even more, basically. That, that those are the two options on the table. So again, God kept me, he held me, 
I took choice number one, thankfully. And uh, um, that started a journey that I've been on for I know, the last 20 years of my life of, of digging into what it meant to, to walk with God. Um, I mean, I started reading my Bible seriously for the first time. I started praying seriously for the first time, actually believing that, you know, there was something for me to say to God and that he actually heard me. And that relationship just became a, re- a reality in my life, not just like, you know, pray when you go to sleep at night, God, forgive me for all the bad things I did. Good night. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do growing up, you know. So so that sent me on a trajectory of just uh, digging into the scriptures and, and learning a lot. And, um, eventually that redirected my my choice of, of college, ended up going to a Christian college eventually. That redirected my my career aspirations because I I decided to study ministry and Bible and theology. Um, I had gone through all these different majors, by the way, and I was like, man, in my spare time, I kept reading my Bible and studying theology and just interested in spiritual formation, discipleship. And I'm like, why don't I just do this for my major instead of doing it on the side? Because I was taking science and history, and that's all good stuff, but but it wasn't where I was really passionate about. And so, anyway, th- throughout this whole time, like God's starting to break me out of my introverted shell, you could say, because I felt like for the first time I had a reason to speak up and say things um, because God was pulling me out of that pit of despair I was in. Wow. The relationship I was in was improving. Um, and it just sent me on a journey. I have so many different parts of that journey, but one of the reasons why I'm here in Kenya today as a teacher is because of what happened those, those 20 some years ago. Um, and I'm married to that, that woman now, by the way, the mysterious woman. Oh, she's <laughs> the woman you're married to. She's the one I'm married to. Wow. And, uh, Anyway, I, there's so much to say about that. I, I don't know what else I could say, but if you have a question. Real, yeah, I do have one question real quick. Um, yeah. Is, so what was, I love how, and I love hearing this, man. I've, I've heard this from other interviews as well, how a deep depression or just a rock bottom, a time of desperation leads mm-hmm. a man to God's word. And mm-hmm. then God's word changes that man. Okay. And that's what I'm hearing you share about what happened to you. Um, Do you, is there like, um, and not that there's just one passage or one scripture, you know, I I realize I'm one of those people that takes, you know, the whole breadth of the narrative arc of scripture and, and, but Mm. what, 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 was there some, I don't know, was there, was there a more specific passage or or scripture that kind of especially spoke to you or might've been one of the ones that really kind of I'm just curious if, if you have any thought on that. Uh, well, I think in, from one perspective, um, I remember reading the passage in Romans chapter eight. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think part of my issue was just a lot of unresolved guilt in my life at that time. Mm. You know, for sins I had committed growing up or just whatever in my mind. And uh, I remember reading that passage and just feeling like it's burden being lifted for the first time. And I was just like, wow, wow. if that, if that is really true, then that's great news for me because I need that. And that really helped me. So that's, that's one among many others. Yeah. I mean, what I actually did was I would write down scriptures on little slips of paper mm-hmm. and I would tape them to the back of my bed. So in the morning when I woke up, I would just turn around and look at those and it looked terrible. It was not neat. <laughs> they were in pen and pencil. They were scribbled on there like a third grader, but I, I, I got great courage and comfort from God's word just behind my head as I slept and as I woke up in the morning. Man, God's word is powerful. Mm-hmm. When it, when it like, even when it's scribbled on a piece of paper and stuck to a headboard, there's power in it. There's mm-hmm. and man, praise God. That is so cool to hear. Thanks yes, for sharing. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Steve, you end up going to Bible college and you decide to focus on theology and spiritual formation. 
right? How'd you end up in Kenya? <laughs> I mean, because I think we were talking before the show about, you know, how when people hear the call from God, a lot of times we say, okay, but I really don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go to Asia, uh, anything right. but that, you right. know, let me right. find something right here in my backyard. I know I'm guilty of that. So, um, oh, yeah. so tell us how you, how you end up where you are now. Yeah. Just so you know, there's an actual song. It says, please don't send me to Africa. So an actual, you, can, you can YouTube it. You can YouTube that's, it. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I go through, you know, undergrad and seminary, all that stuff. And as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm trying to think about the future, of course, because I'm married by that time. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to get a job. I can't be a full-time student the rest of my life, unfortunately. <laughs> So I began looking around for uh, teaching positions in the U.S. at Christian high schools. That's where I was mm -hmm. looking initially. And I sent email inquiries to, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 high schools in Ohio. because That's where I was from. Mm -hmm. Even CBCA, Chris, where we right, met. Right. Um, but, but nobody had any openings. It was, it was crazy. And then um, so I just kept waiting. You know, at that time, I was just finishing a seminary and nothing was coming up. But May of 2004, this is some, a while ago, um, some friends from our church down in Kentucky, they told us about an overseas opportunity in Kenya to teach at a Bible college. And I thought, uh, that was not on my radar. That's right. interesting. And it was so interesting because they were, they had the openings. They were desperate. They were like, please, we need people to come who want to teach the Bible here in Kenya. And I thought, well, Lord, I've been trying here. It's not working out. Maybe let's try it out. So my wife and I agreed to do a three months since. Okay. Um, and that turned into actually one year of, of being at the Bible college. And then we came back to the States and we thought we had done our duty of overseas missions. Um, we thought, Hey, check off that box. I think we've done enough, right? Well, <laughs> I continued with the second master's degree, got some more studies in there. But but God's uh, God's leading was still there the whole time, kind of just gently nudging us in the back of our minds, like, you know, Kenya, it's still there. Hmm. You know, the needs are still there. You had that experience. You actually enjoyed the experience. And we just kind of felt like this, continual nudging throughout so when i finished my second master's degree I, I was employed for five and a half years after that doing some cross-cultural work in the u.s outside chicago um it became clear that maybe maybe we should consider this whole thing of returning to kenya um you know obviously many years later and then <laughs> some people we had met from our home church in Wheaton, Illinois, um, they sent us an email. What was this? The Easter of 2009. I said, hey, we're leaving Kenya. There's a school here in Kenya that needs a missionary teacher. Hmm. And I said, oh, man, this might be it. This might be it. So we followed that invitation. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say the rest is history because it still took four more years after that. Hmm. Um, but we joined SIM, our mission agency. We started raising support. We started telling people about what God had, had been telling us to do. Um, and it was quite a process. But, you know, after all those years, we made it here in 2013, the three kids. And now, you know, the beginning of our ninth year now, 2022, uh, we're still going here. So by God's grace. Wow. That's uh, so you did the three month, which turned into a year. You mm -hmm. came back, you worked for five and a half years in the Chicago area. Right. Right. And then you decide you're going to go back, but now you're going back, you know, quote for real. Right. I mean, it's not going to be a short-term thing. Right. You're going to go there for a while. Um, yeah. And, and it still takes another, what, three or four years before you actually, that's, that's a long time. I mean, you know, you, you kind of took the plunge, but then you had to wait. Mm -hmm. So what, what were you hearing from God during that, that waiting period? Were you getting affirmations that, yeah, this is, 
this is what I want you to do? Was there, were there some doubts in your mind that this was what you mm. were called to do? How'd that go? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's always easy to be excited, you know, for a couple of days about something and then the kind of die down if you don't keep the energy moving forward. But right. so yeah, you know, there's a lot of excitement about, you know, saying an initial yes to an email, for example, but then it really drug out to be honest, yeah. that waiting period of four years. I mean, um, we were, we started having kids during that time and that was, you know, a whole new chapter for us. I was still employed working outside Chicago at a nonprofit. Um, so we're trying to balance this whole thing. Like, you know, we got to raise money, but we got to have money to keep living in the meantime. And then, you know, joining the mission SIM, part of that journey was just going through extensive preparation time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they they put us through all these psychological tests. Um, you know, they, they put you through the ringer in a good way. They want to make sure that you're not going to go there and, and not be able to handle it at all. So that was a, that was a, you know, a long process. We had multiple orientations with them down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and yeah, you know, one of the hardest things is just trying to think about leaving your family. Um, because people don't necessarily understand what you're doing. They haven't heard what you've heard from God. They don't, they think like, prove it. Really? You're going to do that. God told you, or God, God's leading you. You didn't tell me that. So you're staying here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> from, yeah. Like from family sometimes who, you know, to be, I, I understand, I understand why they would be, you know, hesitant or maybe not always, you know, so excited about, you know, losing their, their children to overseas ministry. So I understand that, but so that, that, you know, that can be discouraging sometimes that can be a, that can be a, something that kind of sets you back a bit, but wow. we just kept pushing, you know, and thankfully our church in, in Wheaton was very supportive as well. They have a strong uh, missions team there and they support like 30 some families who are overseas doing international work. Um, and so we got to be a part of one of those families and, uh, to this day, they still encourage us and support us. And so, yeah, Chris, it's, it's true. It was a long waiting process. When we, when we actually got here, it felt very surreal. I kept looking around like, <laughs> are, are we really here? Right. Right. Is this really Africa. Cause like we've been dreaming about this for like many years. So, yeah. yep. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I, here's a question for you. That's been mm -hmm. kind of burning in my mind as you're, as you're sharing right now. So, uh, well, first of all, let me start with this. What's kind of the, um, the ratio, if you will, in terms of females to males at the school that you end up teach that you're teaching at? Yeah, I would, I would say, uh, probably 30 to 40% female and the okay. rest of it would be males. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, so I'm curious because yeah, so you're obviously, there are more men there that you're right. teaching and involved right. with and, um, yep. What would you say? Because as I the, the thought in my mind is all the different people that we've had on the show so far, mm -hmm. we talk about the different challenges that men face, and probably the the biggest one that rises to the top in our culture for sure is isolation. You know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'm just curious from your perspective as you as you you know uh, are there in Kenya with the men there, uh, do you see the same thing or do you see differences? Um, yeah, I'm just curious from a cultural standpoint, yeah. what that looks like there for you as you're, as you're, as you're training and getting to know these men. Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. I mean, there's, there's two different aspects to that because you have other missionary men that, that I'm in, engaged with as well here in the field. Mm. And then of course my students as well. Um, but the, I mean, the, uh, the short answer is yes, <laughs> isolation okay. is a problem. Um, and I mean, think about being in a culture where, um, it's hard to build relationships with other people that are not like you. It, it doesn't come mm -hmm. natural. You have to work extra hard to build relationships. And then imagine building that relationship. And at the end of it, the person just wants you to give them some money <laughs> because they have a need. And here in Africa, that's that happens all the time. And for us as Westerners, that's very offensive to us. 
but as as Africans or Kenyans, you know, friendships are how they survive because everybody helps everybody. Everyone helps share resources. So when they do it to me, it's kind of like off-putting. Like, why why are you so upset about that? Um, So just building relationships and just not knowing where they're going to end because you don't feel like it's how you're used to it in back in the States, for example. Um, And then the other aspect is just, I mean, it's hard for us here because we're here training pastors. We're trying to equip people for the church and the ministry of the gospel. Um, There's a lot of churches here that are struggling that might not really be uh, that strong or that healthy. And so just plugging into a church does not mean you're going to have support either mm-hmm. because we're trying to actually, we're trying to build in that support to, to students and churches here. And so it's not always here for us to receive back. So we do a lot of giving out without always receiving back. And that's, that's tiring and that's hard. Um, yeah. That's an I interesting that, real quick. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind me stopping you for just because the friend of my, I've got a friend uh, I've somewhat gotten to know who's in mm-hmm. Nairobi, uh, in Kenya. And one of the things he told me, which was very surprising to me, and I'm, I'm interested in your perspective. So he's an entrepreneur, small business owner, started up a software yeah. company. And, um, and he told me that it's, it's, it's very, how did he put it? I, I, I for lack of a better word, it's very racist. And so mm. what he said mm-hmm. is that like, if you're a business owner, and you don't have a white uh, partner or friend who can kind of be there with you as kind of a co-representative, you know, to government or other investors, you won't get very far. You you Mm -hmm. need someone who's white who can be with you. Have you, if you, you're shaking your head, looks like that sounds familiar. Yeah. I mean, this is the, this has been a missionary problem for the last 120 years in Africa. I mean, and it's also related to people who are trying to do business as well. Um, because yeah, just imagine coming someplace and the needs are great. Um, and when people see you walking down the street, you feel like you're, you can just be like, they want to come after you because they, they believe you have some way to help them financially. But on the other hand, it's often the case. That's true. Comparatively speaking, we, we do, you know, even as the joke is in America, we're the poor missionaries in Kenya, we're the rich white people. Right. And it's just a matter of perspective. And uh, but, yeah, people do feel that way. And I think there is a sense of we don't want this to be the case, but we can't shake it. There is a sense of power. There's a sense of just, you know, when you come with a resource, it automatically gives you that that upper hand in some ways. I don't like it. It's it's not healthy to me. Mm. It's unfortunate to me, but it's the reality. And so I think what your friend is saying probably does does happen a lot. Um, but yeah, I wish it wasn't the case. Yeah. Steve, before the show, you mentioned that the the one year that you were there with your wife, um, you were not. What's what's the way to say this? You didn't really understand the culture terribly well. So your approach to teaching at that time has changed a lot between then and now because you become more attuned to the culture in Kenya or the cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain that a little bit to the audience about um, kind of what you were missing the first time around and what you've learned and how Bible teaching, which I think we think sometimes in the States, well, you know, there's one way to do it, right? I mean, you just just teach the Bible, you know, it's very straightforward. It's maybe not so straightforward where you are now. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the first time around, you know, come with a lot of gusto, a lot of big plans to teach people, show them the way of everything I've learned in seminary. And, you know, I think by God's grace, I helped them in some ways, but looking back upon that first time, I realized I just, I took a lot of stuff that I learned in the States I kind of dumped it upon them, expected them to understand everything that I was teaching them. When sometimes, you know, the issues I was discussing, the questions I was answering were not the questions they were asking. Mm. And when you have that kind of issue, I mean, there's a disconnect. There's just no way around it. 
And so they were, they were nice to me, you know, they, they put up with me for the, those times, <laughs> thankfully, but yeah, after being here for a longer period of time now, um, I began to realize that I really have to be a student of the culture as much as I do the course subject matter. Um, I think they're equally important. So you can't, I mean, you can have the smartest guy come over here and sort of cross-culturally PhD, whatever title you want to give him. And he can fall flat on his face in a teaching classroom if he has no idea who he's teaching, the people mm-hmm. he's teaching. I mean, he can wow them with academics and, you know, references and big books. And But is that what they need? And so the question is, what do they need? What, is, what do the students need? What does the church need here? And how can I be better at providing that? And I think, Chris, to your question as well about, um, you know, teaching the Bible is, you know, straightforward, all that kind of stuff. I don't think I'm changing necessarily the Bible. I hope not. Um, <laughs> but, but but what I'm doing is it's it's different ways to emphasize different things. Okay. So, I mean, you pick and choose things you emphasize over other things. We do it in the States all the time. We just never right. think about it. Right. And uh you only have so much time in the classroom. You only have so many weeks of a school term. What are the most essential, you know, things or teachings from this book of the Bible, for example, because you gotta, you gotta be selective. And, uh, I think that's a skill that takes time that takes knowing culture. It takes knowing people. And when you can kind of hit those sweet spots, then you feel like you're actually doing something for the first time. Um, and I, I felt that in more recent years because I've, you know, I feel like God has helped me to to humble myself, to learn from the people, and hopefully be a more effective teacher. Hey guys, this is Mike Hatch. And if you are a pastor or a men's ministry leader and you're looking for a discipleship curriculum that is both affordable and accessible, I'd love to tell you more about CLC's newest curriculum line called Getting Real, a small group guide to spiritual authenticity. This study is designed for groups of five to eight men meeting weekly to get real about life's victories and struggles. It's divided into three sessions of 12 weeks each that cover the nature of God, daily living, and the big picture. I recently started two Getting Real groups myself, and the $50 price tag, as well as the 12-week commitment, made it much easier and accessible for guys to want to jump in. This is the perfect study for guys who maybe have never been in a group before. And don't worry, this study still contains all the amazing things that make a CLC study a CLC study, like fence post stories, scripture memorization, and affirmation experiences. You can find out more about this study at our website at clchq.org or shoot me an email at mhatch at clchq.org. I'd love to talk to you about the study and how to integrate it into your own church's discipleship strategy. That's all for now. So let's get back to the interview. And how, how do you, how do you learn? I mean, uh, it's kind of an obvious question, but um, do you learn by having conversations with students? Do you learn by observing? Uh, what, what are the primary ways that you kind of get attuned to their culture? Yeah. The, I mean, you're, you're immersed in it every day, but right. I, I would suspect that you're also kind of isolated from it, even though you're in country. I mean, you can't, you can't observe everything. So how, how right. do you, how do you pick up things that you didn't know before? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned already observation, just being here immersed in it. Um, but I think I also try to actively do it. I mean, I have conversations with people outside the classroom and I just, I ask them questions, you know, they're, they're they tell me things when I'm walking down the sidewalk, they won't tell me in the classroom. Right. Um, you know, stuff like that, just little tidbits of things. I mean, and I, I have African colleagues that I'm teaching with. I go to faculty meetings. There's so many little things that crop up. I'm like, oh, you know, just like little light bulbs. You click right. on. That's how they do it here. I was so confused. Um, but then in the classroom, I mean, the students are, I mean, I do a lot of listening. I tell them, I need you guys to help me as much as I'm trying to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know how, where, to, where to scratch sometimes. You have to tell me where it itches. And so the students are usually very cooperative. They're willing to share stories. So I've, I've heard a lot of stories. When I read their assignments, I hear about stuff going on in their answers. And I've, I've been to many churches out there 
churches in the city, churches in villages. And so I actually see firsthand what's actually going on in the church. And that's also very informative um, mm. to me over the years as well. As a man mm. with an ego, <laughs> um, I'm just, because here's, here's as, as you're sharing, um, Steve, you, you, you have this humility to you that you exude it. Mm. Um, you mm. definitely like, I don't know, Chris, you affirm this, but like, I, I sense this from him that he's kind of like, uh, like I'm doing the best I can a open hand kind of like, all right, God, at this point, because in, in humble humility that, that, you know, that that's the same, um, they have the same root as humiliate. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. Could you just share a little bit more of your journey of, of that, of, of, how God has maybe humiliated you <laughs> and kind of, uh, yeah. and it's maybe in a sense, softened your ego. And, um, because as, as men, uh, that's, whew, that's mm-hmm. hard. That's really hard. But it, I, it's, I really sense that you're in a place where I, I, I wish a lot of, a lot more men were. Oh, and I'm sorry, well, that, tying that real yeah. quick to that's where empowerment comes from. You know, we talk about empowered manhood, empowerment comes from, being humbled, humiliated, you know, that that's where it comes from. And, and, I, and we avoid mm-hmm. it at all costs. So anyway, yeah. Right. Well, that's a great question. And it's a very interesting question, especially for here in this context. But um, I mean, from a personal standpoint, um, yeah, I feel like it's a work that, I mean, God's been doing for a long time. And it, it, obviously the job's not over. Um, but I just came to a point where I started to realize, like, I am a guest in this country. You know, they're hosting me. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I ought not to try to impose my ways and my will and my thinking upon them as if somehow I have it all figured out. Mm. And that did not come to me right away. I mean, it's taken years of being here um, and just realizing the different ways that God has made people and cultures. And I know that cultures are a mixed bag. There's positives and negatives about every culture. So here, you know, there's the negatives. And of course, we have to work on those. Um, But there's also many positives. And I just think that, I don't know, as an American, you know how we are, man. We think that we're number one. (laughs) We got it all figured out. And everybody else should conform to our lifestyle and and viewpoints. And I'm just here to tell you, like, that's that's not always true, guys. And uh, mm. so I think being out of a comfort zone, being out of my home culture, being in a place where the ground is kind of shifting and always moving, I don't have the opportunity to be, I don't know, I, I can't be proud for mm. very long because I slip and fall and make mistakes all the time. And I think from those experiences, um, God has taught me that I got to come from the ground up. I can't, I can't, I can't be doing top down stuff with students. And more recently in the last three years, as I have been at this Bible college here where I am now, uh, they've assigned me to teach a biblical leadership course and uh, which I love, but it's, you know, studying for that class, preparing for that class is very humbling Mm. and very convicting. And every time I prepare or teach a class, I'm like, if I'm going to tell my students this, it better darn apply apply to me as well because mm. we're talking about who Christ is, what Christ did, how do we how do we serve, how do we live every day, and and I mean here in Africa, man, there's the big man syndrome where people with big titles and uh, hmm. education, it's it's even in the church that's very difficult. I mean, there's a big struggle here for uh, issues of leadership. You might not think that, but so teaching a class like this allows me to touch on personal aspects, but I'm also doing it with more knowledge now from their cultural perspective. Um, And, you know, so humility is huge in all that we do here, especially as guests and outsiders. Mm. And to show them that we actually care about you. We're going to learn about why you guys do things differently. And that's how you love Mm. somebody. You you don't cram stuff down their throat and say, by the way, this is the best way. Mm -hmm. And so I think I've I've learned that over the years. I'm still learning that. 
Um, and that gives me great joy to serve cross culturally. Yeah. It's it's I'm always the students keep me on my toes because I'm always having to figure stuff out. I can never get comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I wish, Chris. I know you feel this. I wish, <laughs> I wish our culture <laughs> over here would would take that same approach, especially in light of you know what's going on in today's world where people are you know taking up their sides so certain. Oh yeah so certain about about their their truth and and how wrong other people are and they're just the humility is it's not there well yeah and, and and it's gotten to the point now especially with social media where if somebody has a point of view that differs from mine i just cancel them i, I don't i don't yeah. talk to them anymore i just i just write them off and yeah. we're so immersed in that now that it's happening even in personal relationships, not on social media where, you know, I just don't, I don't interact with that person anymore because he or she yeah. disagrees with me. And, and the presumption yeah. is that I'm always right. You know, yeah. so it's not, it's not just an American thing. It's, it's a, it's a piece of America now that, you know, if you're not, if you're not on my side, then I'm not even going to converse with you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I really respect Steve, your, your willingness to learn and be taught. And I, I call it adaptability. I mean, to, to me, you're, you're, you know, you came in 16, 17 years ago and you had, you know, an approach that you thought would work well. And since you've come back over the last eight or nine years, seems like you've, you've learned to be adaptable. You know, you're not, you're not watering anything down. You're, you're not, hiding anything but you're you're figuring out what works best and you're getting students input into this so they can help shape your approach and i think we we yeah. we can all do that right i mean it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. in a different country i mean right. there are people right. who think differently than us in our neighborhood rather yeah. than just telling them they're wrong why don't i hey why why do you think that way why why do you have that approach cuz I mean, I can learn from them. <laughs> I, I've got a huge ego, so it's it's hard for me, but I need to I need to strip that away and say, you know, let me learn from you. You know, you're you're different than I am. Maybe your way is better. Yeah. Yeah, I think listening is a huge key. And I think that's what I'm trying to get better at is listening, you know, to students, <laughs> to my wife, to my kids. I mean, just listening in all different areas. Because we always have the quick answer, don't we? But yeah, um, yeah. It, it's hard to stop and listen to people and then try to figure out what to do after that. So, yeah. And we don't want to say, sure. I don't know. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, mm-hmm. that's, especially, right. and I would, I would imagine it's tough for you because you're in a culture where I think credentials say a lot, position yeah. title says a lot. And for right. you to say, wow, I, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you know, that's got to be, difficult, but I think you can achieve a lot if you're able to do that. Yeah. I mean, just a quick snippet here. I mean, when, when first year students come to the Bible college, I'm sure they find me a bit strange um, <laughs> because I tell them you guys are allowed to disagree with me. Yeah. You can ask me any question you want. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lower your grade if you, if you challenge me with a question, because that happens by the way here. Mm. Um, and like culturally speaking, the teacher is usually kind of just like, he's like off limits sometimes where you can't, you can't push, you can't ask, you can't disagree, um, because it's seen as disrespectful. Now in America, we see that as critical thinking. We see Mm -hmm. that as a positive trait, but here, I mean, I have to sometimes get my first year students. They're kind of very, very quiet and afraid to talk to me. Until they know that I'm actually being serious about what right, I said. Right, right. Yeah, they can trust and then you. then things open up. Things open up and we begin dialoguing together and it becomes a great process. But before that, and I mean, even sometimes I think they're a little bit angry at me because they would rather I just take care of all the learning for them. Right. And just spoon feed them because it's easier, mm-hmm. right? But I say, no, we're going we're gonna to work through this stuff together. I need you to help me. Um, the theology of the Holy Spirit says we all have the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That means everybody has something to say to somebody else and we all need to listen i don't care if you're a grandma if you're a grandfather i don't care if you're a kid i don't care if you're i don't care 
I don't care if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. <laughs> exactly. I don't care. Well, wait a minute, know. Mike. <laughs> hey, fill, just... you, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank, guys. Yeah, fill right. in the blank. Amen. Yeah. Man, yeah. Steve, thank you for that. That's such a great, oh, that's such a great reminder. Okay, Steve. So you all, you, you and your wife and kids were back in the States um, last year. And right. you and I had you and I had a chance to have breakfast and talk about some stuff. And one of the things that you 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 mentioned to me that it just really struck me. It, it, again, it should have been obvious to me, but um, you guys were staying in a house, and I think your kids had some problems with the neighbors, um, right? Because they just didn't, you, you know, they didn't really understand kind of how neighbor interactions work in the States because they're, they're different than they are. I assume they're different than they are in, in Kenya. So can you talk right. a little bit about what, now that you've got six kids and they range in age from fairly young to how old your oldest, like 12? Yeah. My, my oldest is 14. 14. Youngest is 10 months. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you, what are you seeing through their eyes as they experience this life of spending most of their time in Kenya, but occasionally coming back to the States for maybe a couple of months? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Chris. And obviously it's, it's a big, big impact on us as a family, just kind of going back and forth all the time. And um, so there's positive and negatives to the whole thing. I mean, um, on the positive side, you know, the kids are, in some ways, getting to see different parts of the world. I mean, we've been in the, all these different airports. They know how to travel. I mean, they can do it without thinking twice. And they got a little four-year-old picking up her, her carry-on and doing all this stuff. It's like second nature to them, just jumping on the airplane. So that's pretty cool. And I do think as well, um, you know, being in and out of two different countries and worlds gives them a bit of a broader perspective sometimes. But also, it, and, the, and the negative side, the difficult side is they have a hard time figuring out where home is. Mm -hmm. So for them, in the official term, you know, in academic circles is third culture kids or TCK. Because, you know, they have this life in Africa. They have a life somewhat back in the U.S., but they don't fit perfectly into either one of them. So they're kind of like this middle or third culture, which is a mixture mm -hmm. of both. And the people that understand them are the people that are also third culture kids, because even their own cousins, they go back to the States and they, they, they have, you know, they get along and they play, but they still have a hard time fully connecting with their own cousins and even their grandparents, their aunts and uncles. Um, mm. You know, my kids, a lot of them have never been to McDonald's, if you can imagine. Um, there's ex <laughs> there's experiences they've never done that seem to be, you know, very important, right? Right. But in their minds, they don't care and they don't miss that. If I say you want to go to McDonald's, they say, why or what? What are you talking about that? <laughs> That's a good question. Go <laughs> you know, something like that. Um, and then even, you know, yeah, interacting with, with neighbors in the States. So they... <laughs> I'm laughing, but I, this was a, it was a bit traumatic for them. You know, they went out to the backyard. There was a, a little pond back there. There is some rocks and they said, fun, this is going to be awesome. Right. So they took the rocks, started skipping them in the water, throwing them in there, you know, watching all the water splash around, not realizing that these are somebody's landscaping rocks that somebody paid money mm. for. Because in America, in, oh, no. in, in Africa, I mean, people don't really take care of their yards like that. They might, you know, take care of their grass, but no one's paying money to put rocks down. They just don't have right. those kind of resources oftentimes. So for them, when the neighbor came out and he was upset with them, they're just like, dude, why are you so mad at us? We don't, we don't understand what's going on. And so, yeah, I had to go out and apologize, of course. And then I bring them back in and explain what just happened because to them they thought this guy was just being really mean to them and i said well maybe he was being mean that's that's debatable but let me tell you why he was upset because you took some rocks that he paid money for and you threw them in the water and now he doesn't have them <laughs> you're like oh so that because in africa i mean properties and yards everything just blends together i mean they throw rocks all the time and it never matters you know and the situations are just different for them. So, yeah, I mean, it's 
parenting um, these so-called third culture kids definitely has challenges and they have a lot of ups and downs, man. I mean, we, you know, my son to this day is still saying, I miss America, dad. I miss my cousins. I miss my family. You know, he has bouts of just being sad and discouraged. And if he talks mm. to family on, on FaceTime the next day, he feels sad like the whole day. Mm. He wants to go back home. So just, right. you know, mm. that, that impacts all of us emotionally. We feel sad, but end of the day, you know, we're still here. We keep moving ahead. Um, we can't jump on an airplane and, you know, it's, it's too far. You don't have 30 hours to just go home and say hi to people. So, right. um, those, those challenges are very real and, and difficult and they kind of add an extra layer of awareness that we need to have as parents sometimes. Wow. They, I, I would assume that they are more sensitive than normal kids, um, to, to differences in, in the sense yeah. that they're used to interacting with people who are different from them. Yeah, for sure. Um, on a regular basis. Um, do they, I mean, I assume they've got friends who are in Africa or obviously, <laughs> but I mean, I mean like African <laughs> right. kids, for example, who, who are, you know what I mean? Or, or, or is it, are there, right. is there a school that, that um, where the kids yeah. of pe- people who teach like yourself, maybe hang out together as well. I'm just curious what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's interaction just, you know, locally where we live here with with other Kenyans and people that are in the community. Mm-hmm. But then our kids, our three oldest kids also go to a school just up the hill. Um, it's called Rift Valley Academy. And once they get up there, I mean, yes, the African culture is also there. But so is so are many other cultures of the world. So mm-hmm. it's like a melting pot up there. Um Interesting. You know, there's Americans up there, there's Koreans, there's other Africans. So as much as it's, mm. you know, cross-cultural, just living in Kenya by itself, then our three oldest also have the experience of living in Africa and interacting with people from all over the world at the same time. And so I do mm. think that is a very cool thing. I mean, I didn't experience that growing up. Right. Back in Manaway, Ohio, a small town. I mean... <laughs> I barely don't experience much of anything else. in Manaway. <laughs> I barely saw anybody else who had a different culture than me. So yeah. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I think it's overall a positive thing. Um, and I'm grateful the kids have this experience growing up. So Steve, I, I don't know what maybe perception you have, or I'm sure you kind of keep up with the news to some extent, maybe about mm-hmm. different things happening over in our, in America still. Obviously, yeah. you still have family over here. So you're so as as best you can, I, I would just love for you. And I'm and this is kind of off the cuff. So I didn't give you any warning that I was going to ask you this question. So mm-hmm. I'll give you some grace in that too, and a little bit of time to maybe think. But like, what would your message be, you know, for for the men who are listening to our podcast? Um as, as you know, we talked a little bit about the struggles that men face with ego and and needing to be more humble, especially in, in these times. Oh gosh. So I'm just curious if, if, yeah, if you had our audience kind of standing in front of you, um, or maybe you're in an auditorium or something and you have a a chance to, you know, take two or three minutes and just say something maybe that you feel like, um, that would be helpful or encouraging or, you know, something to them, what would you say? Yeah. Well, on the, on the first hand, I think I would just, I have to acknowledge the fact that, um, you know, certain people obviously have not had the privilege or experience of living overseas. And so for them to conceive everything I'm talking about is probably very strange and, you know, doesn't make sense to them. Um, and so I, I have grace for people like that because I know they don't know certain things because they haven't had a chance to experience them, Hmm. um, to experience them, excuse me. And so I I don't want to hold that against people, but at the same time, when there's somebody who has experienced different things in life, perhaps living overseas, going through different, you know, cultural experiences, it would be a double offense if you ignored that person who had something to try to maybe show you a different perspective. So yeah, you don't have to jump on a plane. I'm not saying, you know, get over here right now. 
and figure out, you know, figure out the world through African perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think as, as Americans, I do think as, as the American church that, you know, broadening our perspective of the world and thinking more from a global perspective, mm-hmm. I mean, it has to bring humility. It has to, because mm-hmm. people are experiencing things all the time that we never even have to think about in America in terms of, you know, lack of resources or the extreme persecution sometimes. I mean, so many things that we don't face day in and day out as Americans or American Christians that you come here for two weeks, I mean, you'll just see that life is very different. Um, And I think people just don't have that awareness, that knowledge. Whatever you get on TV about Africa is just, you know, it's not the full picture or any other country, you know, it's usually negative. So um, I think people just realizing that (laughs) life does not revolve around just your own place and country. And so for me, the same goes for me. Like I, I, I read the news, the States, and, you know, I try to be kept abreast with what's going on there. So I don't become totally oblivious to that side of the world as well. So I think it's, I think it as much as we can, we got to learn from other people those experiences perhaps at a time like this it's like americans need to lift up their head and look around and quit looking down and just looking around to their their neighbors Mm. because maybe it's a way to get some freedom for some of these arguments and some of these conflicts and some of these you know headbutts that people are going through like when you start thinking about other people when you start lifting your head when you have a broader perspective some of the issues don't they're not as important anymore i'm mm-hmm. gonna say it that way and you realize like man we should drop this stuff you know there's there's bigger there's bigger things out there to worry about um and let's work on focusing on that for example um i think about that all the time and i have to i have to restrain myself from not getting angry mm. because i think about what's happening back in my country i think about what's happening here and i'm like man people knew what's happening here maybe they wouldn't be so ticked off or ungrateful or what, you know, so, Mm. so much complaining because they would have a broader perspective. They would know that, man, (laughs) their life isn't really that bad after all, comparatively (laughs) speaking. And again, I don't want to be little people and there. I mean, everybody has issues. I'm not trying to take that away, but I think we can all benefit from just lifting our eyes off of our own little world sometime and seeing God's big world. And learning from other people, um, you know, it does take humility, but it does take an intentionality as well. And um, I, I would just hope to encourage people to figure out a way to connect with the world. And I, I can't prescribe how to do that. You have to figure out your own way. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's connecting with a missionary or somebody who works overseas. Maybe it's getting a newsletter. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to keep yourselves abreast today of, of things going on around the world. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd probably say something like that. Yeah. That's off the, off the cuff, but. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Steve. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Your perspective is so valuable, man. So valuable mm-hmm. being over there. And, and again, I just appreciate your humility, um, your willingness to come on and share with us. And, uh, yeah, it, I think, uh, I think guys got a, a ton of value out of this. So I'm grateful for you. Mm. So if folks wanted to find out more about you, Steve, is there somewhere they can go to follow you or if they wanted to support you in some way, like where do people go to find you like online, for example? Yeah. I mean, uh, the Bible college that we're at is Moffitt Bible college and that's Moffitt Bible college.org. So M O F F A T. B I B L E C O L L E G E. Thank you for spelling that off. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> just in case, you know, in case some guys are sleepy out there. No, um, yeah, totally. And, and then, yeah, the other one is our mission agency, which is simusa.org. So S I M U S A.org. If you go to the website, if you click on give, you can, uh, you can ma- make your way to our names. You put in our name, give now. My last name okay. is Wiggers. That would take us to that kind of thing. But anyway, I'm not trying to missionaries don't no, like talking like that publicly. Okay. <laughs> but thanks for asking. Yeah. And Steve, no. are you on social media? Is your is your um 
I mean, Sim's the best way to contact you, but um, can people get your newsletter? Um, yeah, I mean, the best way to connect would be just a personal reaching out by email. My okay. email address, I can give my email address, which is just steve.wiggers, uh, W-I-G-G-E-R-S, at sim.org. Okay. Send me an email. I'll give you. I, I'll give you a link to our um, to our Facebook or to our, our newsletter, things like that. Great. That's the best way. Yeah. <sighs> Steve Wiggers, man, thank you so much for joining us on the Empowered Manhood Podcast. Yeah, guys, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>